Welcome to the Success Podcast with Jose Angel Manaisa Jr. and Michelle Reitman. For tonight, we will explore the life story of Michelle Reitman along with the happiness formula. We're going to learn about her family legacy, her role as a leader in the community, a mom to five African-American men, and being uh, this inspirational speaker that speaks on different subjects and topics, including the happiness formula. And Michelle, I want to start this interview by asking you, tell us about your upbringing, your early beginnings. Well, uh, I'm a middle child, and uh, I have an older sister and a younger brother. We grew up in Los Angeles, in um, the inner city. All three of us went to Catholic school most of our young lives, so we believed in God. And we had a conscious, a conscious, because when you go to Catholic school, you learn about heaven and hell. Yeah. And (laughs) that when you do good, there's a place in heaven for you. Yeah. And when you don't, well, there's a place in hell for you. (laughs) So you grew up with a conscience. And so you were very careful um, to live your life according to, or I was very careful to live my life according to the Ten Commandments. Oh, the Ten Commandments. Wow. Yes. What was your, your favorite commandment out of the Ten? <laughs> Let's see. My favorite commandment out of the Ten was, let's see. I guess it was, Honor thy mother and thy father. Mm. And that made life a little difficult because although I had two good parents, they weren't perfect. Got it. Um, They divorced when I was six years old. My mom left my dad because of domestic violence. Oh, God. Um, So sorry about that. He was... Um, he had a tumultuous childhood and of course you know back then people didn't get therapy for childhood trauma so that trauma lived within him and it you know and when he became an adult and married my mom there was physical violence because that's what he grew up with. So the Ten Commandments and honoring thy mother and thy father was something that I did, but I was, you know, I was kind of torn because I knew that there were parts 
of my dad that were not good. And I was reminded of that when he would beat my mom. And I can remember as a child, um, him beating up my mom and me pulling him off of my mom. My brother's sister and I were pulling him off of my mom because he was beating her up. Ooh. And it didn't stop with my mom. After my mom left my dad, um, he had girlfriends that he would beat up and there were um, second and third wives that he would beat up. Ooh. And although I honored him as a father because he was present in my life and he was a good father to me and a good father to my siblings. He never laid a hand on us. He never cursed at us. He put food on the table, a roof over our head, clothes on our back, a good education, but he had that. And I never confronted him about it. Never. Mm. At least not for decades because I was to honor my mom and honor my dad and um, and my mom was traumatized by it and it was difficult for me to have a conversation with her why she put up with it and um, and so that was that but uh, they were better apart because my mom didn't have to experience battery anymore. And my dad was able to, um, in my eyes, become a better person, even though he had issues with the other women in his life. At least it wasn't with my mom any longer. So I was able to um, to forgive him and, um, and move on. Because he was, he was a good father, but he did have that. Yeah. Michelle, in, in your kind of like, how would you reconcile a a commandment, right? Like honor your father and your mom and your mother, right? I mean, I guess before I go into that, how would you define like to honor your parents? The honoring part. How would you to define it in your own words? Honor, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, be a good a good child. Okay. Um, be a decent, grow up to be a, a decent woman. Okay. Um, not be disrespectful to your parents. Okay. And I wasn't. Got it. I wasn't disrespectful to them. Got it. Got it. Gotcha. Yeah. And now, I, and I know it, it, it makes it easier to honor our father and mother when both of our parents are also honoring God, right? Uh, I guess, oh, they're doing the best to honor God uh, with... I know it's so difficult sometimes to define the difference between honoring. So I'm honoring my parent, right? And the right. difference of tolerating 
a imperfection, you know, because I guess we not we are not perfect, right? Everybody is imperfect, right? Right, right. and and uh, so let's say we we are in a situation where we see one of our parents doing something that is bothering us, but it's not only like, you know, bothering us, but we know that it's not the right thing to do. Right. Right. Um, how do we go about kind of like confronting our parents or, or at least kind of like letting them know that, you know, dad or mom, I love you for who you are and I honor you. And I just want to let you know that what I just experienced, this is not the best version of yourself. I know you can do better. Like, how do we go about like? <laughs> well, um, later on in life, because my dad had a conscience too. Okay. And he never felt good about what he did. He was always very apologetic for his behavior. Got him. Um, I knew, even as a child, that we to leave vengeance to God. God. And believe it or not, my dad had hell to pay. He God. experienced some very serious challenges in his life because of his behavior. God. And I saw that as a young adult. God. And um, my mom, she also experienced um, being um, dealt with. God. Because his behavior changed her. Mm. So that, you know, she wasn't the best person that she could be. But there was a time when my mom was very, very good. But because of my dad's influence over her, um, she became bitter. And it became uh, difficult for her to identify with decent men I because see. her experience with my dad was during high school and out of high school. She was very young when she when, met my dad. I see. Yeah. So she picked, so she, um, she became bitter and, um, she attracted, continued to attract men like my dad. Yeah. And because she attracted men like my dad, she too had to pay the piper. Yeah. So I saw both of them um, get their fair share of um, of uh, what do you call it? Um, what goes around comes around. Yeah. Yeah. But so and and later on in life, I confronted my mom about it because, of course, their habits. And their behaviors influenced my life. Mm. So, um, you know, the the uh, my first marriage was with a guy who was so much like my dad that they they had the same bad leg. You 
you know, my dad was in a bicycle accident and injured his leg and he walked with a slight limp and I fell in love and married somebody that was just like him. Mm. So much so that he had um, a limp in the same leg. In the same. Wow, is that something, huh? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Would you consider that you were closer to your dad or your mom, or are you kind of like about the same? Uh, you know, I was closer to my dad. Oh, okay. You were closer to your dad. I see. Yeah, I was closer to my dad. Wow. Yes. What would you say are one of the, uh, you know, the... I guess the most positive qualities that you emulate, you know, from your dad. Well, my dad was very good with his hands. Okay. Um, he loved to do home improvements. He okay. loved working with the hammer and nails and um, wood. So um, I enjoy doing that too. And uh, to this day, I'm a crafter. And um, I've done <clears throat> a significant amount of home repairs in my own home, and I'm the one that fixes appliances. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I do all of that, and this... I got that from my dad. And my dad also has excellent penmanship, and I picked that up from him. And even though he wasn't perfect, you know, there were some qualities about him that were very good. And that was, he was committed to his children. Oh. And he treated us with dignity and respect. Dignity and respect. Yeah, he loved us very, very much. And there was a time when my mom was uh, lived out of the country. And uh, we lived with him. And he was very protective of us. And he took excellent care of us. He really did. He, he had his fair share of woman problems. But when he came to us... He made sure that we went to a good school. We had food on the table, food a roof the... over our head, clean clothes. We went to church on Sunday. We went to Catholic school on Monday through Friday. Wow. Yeah. And he was a disciplinarian, but he did not use a belt or mm. his hands. It, were, it was his eyes that looked at us and we knew better. You know, because we, we, we thought that, you know, like, wow, if you can do that to mom, then woo we better just shut up and stand here and follow the rules. And we did. Yeah. We never got into any trouble. Yeah. Hardly any trouble. You, no way. We would never think of coming home pregnant or stealing from a store or cursing someone out or being disobedient in school. That did not happen. Yeah. Not at all. That is interesting. Wow. And Michelle, uh, at what point in your, you growing up, you felt um, completely, I will say, you know, everything that your parents have you know, giving you, educated with, empower you. Like at what point you felt like, you know what, now I'm I'm independent and I'm going to now raise my own family. Well, my parents 
They raised me to be independent. They were not the kind of parents that gave their kids everything. We had to work um, for what we had. If I wanted a new car, I bought it. Mm. If I, when I moved into my first apartment, I saved up my money. Wow. Um, how old were you? Yeah. How old were you at that time? I moved out when I was about 18 years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, okay. Because in my household, if you wanted to act like an adult, it was time for you to go. <laughs> and when I wanted to act like an adult, they had no, no, my dad had no problem showing me the front door, period. <laughs> you know, you didn't stick around until you were 20, 21, 22. That, that just didn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I learned independence from my dad mm -hmm. and um, how to stand on my own feet because they didn't give us, they gave us what parents should give their kids. They never gave us too much. Yeah. You know, so we learned how to work for our money and we learned how to make things happen. If you wanted something, then you had to go out and get it. You know, yeah. don't, don't expect a handout, period. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yes. That is amazing. You always, you've always been an independent woman, and that's yeah. great. I, I was very independent, yeah. and um, because I was independent, and I um, and was doing things on my own, I I didn't really feel like I needed. Um, to have a husband. Oh, you know, I God. always knew that I wanted to be a parent, but I didn't want a husband because my experience with my dad was that husbands were not great. Oh, yeah. And husbands could hurt you. Mm. And so um, I had my first child um, as a single parent, and it was a beautiful thing. But then I learned that society was not accepting of um, single parents. <clears throat> so I went on ahead and I got married and that was a mistake hmm. because um, I did it for the wrong reasons nice. so that was kind of crazy but I in the meantime I managed to pursue getting an education and um, <clears throat> and uh, then um, eventually um, we divorced I was um, I became a single parent with three children okay And uh, then I met my second husband, who was the love of my life. I finally jumped off of that hamster wheel of Mr. Wrong and um, stopped the cycle of uh, domestic violence when I met my second husband, who was a wonderful, educated businessman. Yeah. And he showed me a very different life because he was he was strong assertive gentle kind responsible reliable and he took me to the next level yeah yes and michelle uh, when you identify the kind of like you know you have this perspective right that okay if i get married 
I'm going to be marrying somebody like my dad. Or so that's why you were prepared. Okay, I'm going to be a single parent. So at what point, you know, like after your first marriage and your second marriage, uh, like at what point you consciously identify the, I guess, you were at some point avoiding the marriage? The first one? Uh-huh, yes. The first one, yes. Well, you know, I began to see the pattern. Okay. The, the, the hamster wheel, you know, doing the same thing that my mom, putting up with the same things that my mom was putting up with. Okay. And I, I said, wait a minute. I said, here I am, back here in a very similar situation. And I realized that... Um, that that was no longer working for me. I see. You know, and and, um, and, and so I, I finally, and just like my mom's marriage, I, no, I think it was, yeah, my mom's marriage lasts six years. My first marriage lasts six years. Got it. Yeah. And, um, and I realized that every time I made the right choice, I got blessed. You got blessed. Yeah. God. God met me right there. As soon as I made the right choice, things turned around for me. Hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Something that I know. So I, you know, I urge people who are facing challenges in their life and running that hamster wheel where things seem to be repetitious and not in a positive way to get off of that hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you do, um, you can expect a blessing to come because with every setback, there is a lesson to be learned. And the reason why you're experiencing that setback again and again and again is because you haven't learned. Yeah. So when you learn that that's not working for you, yeah, and you get off that hamster wheel, then you're on the um, the yellow brick road. Yeah, and you're on your way home. Yeah, hmm. and it's a good feeling. Yeah, but you got to give yourself that chance. You have to give yourself that chance. Yeah, yeah, because people, you know, we get used to um, what we know. And, you know, it becomes comfortable to us. It becomes comfortable. As, as wrong as it is. Yeah. And, and um, so when you realize that it's not working, jump off. And, yeah. and don't, don't be afraid. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, with that, I changed my conditions of living, which is part of the happiness formula. Yeah, the happiness formula. Yeah, which we're gonna go deep into it now. Before we yes. go into the happiness formula, I know that something about your family, Michelle. You come from a, a family of very victorious and very influential people. I know yes. that your your grand aunt, uh, Lorraine Hansberry, 
She was the yes. the creator of a racing in the sun, you know, who was played out with by Sidney Portier back in the sixties, and then by Puff Daddy P Diddy in the, in the most recent modern version. Uh, and you also uh, had the pleasure of meeting Mommy Hansberry, another influential. Kind of like tell us briefly about how these, I mean, these icons, you know, your family have influenced you to be the woman that you are today. Well, um, Lorraine Hansberry um, died before I was born, I believe. Mm -hmm. But my mom is a Hansberry. Got it. My mom's maiden name is Nanette Hansberry, and my mom's father was Lorraine Hansberry's brother. Mm. Yes. So it was in me to be a writer and a poet. Okay. As you know, because... Jose, you and I met in Toastmasters, and we both became qualified speakers at the same time. Yes. <laughs> so what I inherited from the hands theories was an ability to um, write poetry yes. and write, you know, um, write... Um, I said poetry, and then also speeches. And speeches, yes. So, and and I think that's why when I when I joined Toastmasters, and I won the speech contest with my acclaimed speech called Five. Five. Boys, I remember. It was a surprise <laughs> to me because it was in me all along. I'm a Hansberry deep down inside. I remember you became the humorous speech champion <laughs> with the five. Yes. <laughs> that was an iconic, that was an iconic moment. <laughs> and Michelle, uh, obviously, you're very successful. Um, tell us about, briefly, about your children and what do they mean to you? If you can briefly tell us about your five great men that you have. Tell us briefly about them. Well, um, my, my sons mean everything to me. Mm -hmm. um, all I ever wanted was a little girl. I dress her hair, she'd wear beautiful clothes, and she'd go to college, not just any college, but the best college. And she'd dance and sing, and whatever I didn't accomplish in my life, I'd live vicariously through her. Well, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. I had one son after the other. And um, the girly girl in me went right out the window. <laughs> and I became a dictator in my home. <laughs> my husband was an accountant. And so, and we had our own business, Richardson Consultant. So he was always doing taxes. And that kept him away from home quite a bit. So I was a dictator. But they mean a lot to me. And, um, They've, I've just been challenged in, in more ways than you can imagine um, having five sons. I've seen it all. I've done it all, you know, um, from the time that they were very small. And even though I, I did not have that daughter, I did 
live vicariously through them. And everything that I did not accomplish, they did. And I made sure of that. Yeah. Uh, going to cop. Well, I went to college, but um, sports, swimming, diving, um, acting, um, you, you name it. You name it. They did it. And there was no stone unturned when it came to them um, doing activities to find out what their passion was in life. I, I, I had them try everything. Mm. And, and I was always a part of that. <laughs> martial arts. Martial arts. Yeah. Yes. Would you say that you your, know. your kids, your five kids, would you say that they also emulated from you the fact that you are a very handy person? You know how to build stuff? <laughs> like your dad? Well, no, they're not very handy. <laughs> they're not very handy. Um, because I'm the handyman. <laughs> um, they, are, they are absolutely go-getters. Mm -hmm. You better believe it. Whatever they want, they, they strive very hard to get it. And I, mm -hmm. I think that's the reason why they've, they've uh, been so successful. Um, despite challenges that uh, that they faced in their life. Yeah. So, speaking of challenges, I'm going to go back to the happiness formula, which was developed by a social scientist. One social scientist in particular named Martin um, Seligman. I hope I'm saying that right. It's spelled S-E-L-I-G-M-A-N. He developed the um, happiness formula. He also wrote a book in 2002 called um, Authentic Happiness. And what the happiness formula is, um, is H equals S plus C plus V. That's H equals S plus C plus V. Happiness equals set point in the brain plus conditions of living plus voluntary choices that we make every day. Hmm. So. Wow. Well thought out. Wow. Yes. So with that, um, the S represents the set point in the brain and the set point in the brain is our emotional intelligence. Okay our well-roundedness as a human being on this planet. Got it. So our set point um, is our, um, let's see, there are five components of uh, our, the set point of the brain, which also is our emotional intelligence. I don't know if you're familiar with emotional intelligence, but uh, the, your, our emotional intelligence is, um, one, to know yourself. Got it. Two, to be able to control yourself. Three, motivation. Four, empathy. And five, social skills. So all of that encompasses the set point in your brain. You have to have a balance of all of that. 
Knowing who you are as an individual. Yes. Being able to control your emotions when you're faced with adversity or challenges that set you off. Um, motivation. How to get yourself motivated to keep on going. Um, empathy. How do you relate to other people? Yeah. And social skills. How well do you get along in other environments? God. That's your set point in the brain, also known as your emotional intelligence. And then there's the conditions of living. And he talks about conditions of living. Um, and he touches on um, the things that have um, a, a strong effect on our lives or not so much effect on our not so much of an effect on our lives like um he says that um that to have a a good condition of living you have to live in a democracy mm -hmm. oh and not just any kind of democracy but a wealthy democracy, a wealthy democracy. and as you know right now our democracy is being challenged yeah. And democracy is everything. Yeah, democracy. That has a strong effect on our conditions of living. It is no good to live in a dictatorship. You yeah. know, um, it will diminish your conditions of living because hmm. when you are living in a dictatorship, you're no longer in control of your life. Yeah. So that's very important um, um, to be in a healthy relationship. That is um, an asset to your conditions of living. Yeah. Um, avoiding negative events. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't. You know, to choose to be in a gang, to choose to be in a cult, um, to choose to be um, um, a, a racist. Those affect your conditions of living. The conditions of living, because yeah. we, we because we live in a democracy, because we live in a diverse country, and we're moving or have moved into a global society to resist, um, you know, to resist. Um, what was I saying? Uh, these things um, would be a detriment to your well-being, you know, to resist democracy, to resist globalization, you know, to resist, you know, the things that our country stands for. It would only be problematic to that individual. Um, you got to have a rich social network. Yeah. You know, people that are of like minds that believe in what you're doing and you believe in what they're doing and you can come together collect collectively to build a mastermind alliance in the workplace. Um, religion, um, that is, that affects us moderately because religion is, is, is very structured and, and sometimes it, it can be a controlling factor in our lives. But to believe in a higher power is a good thing. Mm -hmm. So those are some conditions of living. Where you live, 
you know, I know that you live in the marina and I know that affects how you feel because I've been on the boat and I've, you've taken me around the marina and it's a wonderful thing <laughs> and you got to be happy living like that. But some of us um, are not as, some people are not as fortunate. So you make the best of where you are until you can, can, can change that condition to take you to a, um, a more content place. And then he talks about money. And he also says that, you know, uh, uh, once you are making about $75,000 a year mm -hmm. and living a comfortable life, you can find happiness there. Anything yeah. above that is just fluff. Yeah. And if you're not, and if you're doing the right things with the money, the extra money that you have, you'll be happier. But if you're not doing the right things with all with the money, then you're it's not gonna make you a happy person. It might make you jealous. Yeah. I mean not jealous, but it, it might make you feel a sense of entitlement or you might have superiority complex um, and look down on people who don't have as much. So money can be a good thing, but it can also be a not good thing. So, um, and health, health is very important in your conditions of living because if you're not healthy, you can't do much. Yeah. You're worried about survival and death. So it's very important that you stay in good health. And right now with this whole, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not even going to say it because I'm sick and tired of hearing the word. We're not going to have a podcast that's going to say that word because everybody knows what I'm talking about. But um, the worry of good health has traumatized everybody. Hmm. Would you agree with that? Yes. Yes. Not that so, I'm sorry? No, no, not yet. It has traumatized, especially now, you know, since the lockdown, you know, or COVID-19. Oh, yeah. yeah. I um, am yeah. so sick and tired <laughs> of this, you know what, I just don't know what to do. In the beginning, <laughs> it seemed like a blessing because people were able to reconnect with their families. Yeah. And we got to know each other on a level that we didn't know each other before. before yeah yeah because everybody's stuck in the house yes but now it's total overkill yeah yeah and i can't wait for restaurants to open bars to open i miss putting on a cocktail dress i miss socializing with other people i can't stand wearing a mask yeah you know because now everybody's looking at my forehead. Yeah. And not my great smile. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but I guess you know uh, you know before the before the you know what um, people didn't really look into each other's eyes, but now everybody's looking into each other's eyes, and I guess that's a good thing. But I want to see the full face. I want to see the forehead, the eyes, 
the nose, the lips, the chin, the cheekbones. I want to see all of that. I miss that. So I'm glad to have Zoom so I can see your happy face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can see my happy face. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So now we're going to talk about voluntary choices. Yes. You know, the choices that people make. And voluntary choices make up 40% of our handiness. So we better wow. be making some good choices. Yes. You know, um, so. Um, On volu what, I have a question. On voluntary uh -huh. choices. So let's say, Michelle, you, you have to make a choice right about whether or not you want to continue a particular relationship whether it is a personal or a business or a professional relationship with someone right and based on your direct experience dealing with this person right um you have seen some red flags right it's been very obvious right uh -huh. And uh, and I know as we as humans, there's a part of us that we just want to like, you know, let's just cut ties, you know, and move on. Uh, you know, I was happy before I met you. And, uh, and now that I met you, I realized that I found this about you and this is not in alignment with my values. So I'm deciding to just continue on on my life how it was before I met you, right? So that's one approach, right? To choose right. that you're going to cut ties with that person, right? Right. The other approach is that sometimes we are humans, sometimes we always want to give second chances to people. You know, like right. we want to like, kind of like, you know what? I want to be forgiving. I want to be accepting. And uh, I'm going to give a chance to this person to, to prove that they are, you know, trustworthy and that we can actually have the relationship, you know, that we started, right? So when it comes to those voluntary options, right, which one do you typically tend to lean into? Are you more like, um, I guess... A gracious person that offers grace, or you more like you know what? It's time to move on. Well, I absolutely believe in second chances, mm -hmm. but I'm not getting any younger, so I'm not going to waste my time with something that's not working. Mm. And when you know something is not working, you get that feeling. And yeah. I don't know about you, but with this situation that we're in. My anxiety is a little bit more than it usually is. Mm. So I don't have a whole lot of patience for nonsense. Got it. <laughs> or difficult people. Yeah. I don't have a problem cutting it off. I don't have a problem loving people from a distance. Mm, loving people from the distance. I on. love it. Loving people from the distance. Wow. Yeah. That is a good one. Yes. So voluntary choices is, uh, is very important because once you make that choice, you, you know, um, 
it, it, you live with it and it affects your outcome. And so, um, 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 Seligman talks about um, emotions of the past, future, and, and uh, present. And he says that you can um, be happier with your choices when you're able to move beyond your past, yeah. especially if it is a negative one, or find something positive in that negative past. Mm. And also to have a positive feelings about the future and positive feelings about the present. Yeah. And for me, that's easy to do because um, I live in the now. Yeah. And there's nothing we can do about the past, but learn from it. And yeah. so learning from the past, taking what good you can from it, and living in the present, meaning, you know, relish today. Because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yes, look forward to the future. But don't be tied to the future. Because the future is beyond our control. We don't know what's going to happen um, to us from one day to the next. Yeah. Right? That so the happiness formula is H equals S plus C plus V. Happiness equals set point in the brain, your well-roundedness as an individual, plus your conditions of living. Where are you living? Who are you living with? What kind of career do you have? Um, plus the voluntary choices that we make every day. And that's in regard to our past, our future, and our present. Wow. So, Jose, I've experienced um, a lot of trauma in the last year. Um, so much so that I, all I could do was just sit in it and and uh, kind of go with it. Yeah. You know, go with it. Um, I lost my husband in 2016. That was very traumatic. Yeah. Uh, my, 2015. My it was 2015. Yeah. I'm sorry? It was in 2015. You keep saying that. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember. Okay, you, know, you remember the speech. And, yeah, I remember uh, the speech, yeah. My, my son was diagnosed with cancer in 2019. Ooh. And he's only was only 23 at the time. And he was in the stage four of cancer. And then my my firstborn son was in a near death automobile accident where he broke several bones in his body. He was in the hospital for several months. He contracted COVID. Ooh. He was living in isolation. He went into depression. Mm. 
and all, all of these things were just it, it seemed like it just it kept on coming it kept on coming and so I really had to um, dig deep into that happiness formula I had to dig deep into that happiness formula because it was very easy for me to just, and then I, I got laid off mm. um, from a job. I had resigned from a, a good job that I had working with a, a, a very big company nice. to work for the school district. And then the pen, the boom, I almost said it. <laughs> and then I end up getting laid off. Um, so I had to really dig deep into the happiness formula and it really saved me hmm. It allowed me to make peace with my circumstance. It allowed me to get up in the morning and sleep at night and count my blessings and be grateful. And it just, it, it, and it, it just, um, it really was um, the formula that got me through these tough times. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Wow. So, you know, I urge you So definitely the happiness formula has been a very instrumental for you to overcome all these... Um, Drama, yeah, and obstacles, and in a very uh, unfortunate, very unfortunate uh, moment in 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 you know in the last year for you. In the last few years. In the last few years. In the last few years. Yeah. 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 Now, so I, I always. I've, I've known about the happiness formula, I would say, for about five or six years. Okay. And um, I've applied it to my life every single day. Wow. You know. And Michelle, can you illustrate to us how your day-to-day -day affairs look like? as it relates to you applying the happiness formula, how do you apply? You know, when you wake up in the morning, do you do a journal? No, tell us, tell us more about that. Okay, well, um, I, um, at night, before I go to bed, I, you know, I, I thank God. And my prayer is very simple. I thank God for the, for, for the blessings in my life, the mm -hmm. ones that are clear and the ones that are not so clear, the ones that are positive, the ones that are not so positive. I bless God. I, I thank God for everything because, like I said, the, the setbacks are lessons that we're supposed to learn from. Mm -hmm. And um, I watch TED Talks. Yeah. Because they're so positive. And um, it, it helps me to go, to go to bed a little lighter. 
Yeah. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, I make breakfast in the morning for my family. Yeah. You know, a healthy breakfast in the morning. And I ride my bike. And today mm. I bought a pair of skates. Yeah. Um, when I was laid off, laid off from my job with the school district, I became a caregiver to my sons. And I reaped great benefits with that. And, and I find it extremely rewarding. And it takes care of all of my uh, financial obligations. And I feel very blessed for that. Yeah. Um, doing this podcast, I'm able to give back, yeah. you know, to our viewers. Yes. And that is very helpful to me. You know, I'm able to do more creative things because now I have time to do it. Yes. So um, that's how I, I, I get my, my days, you know, how I, you know, wrap up my evenings and how I get my days started. Um, I have more plants in my home mm. and my plants, you know, not only are they beautiful, but um, they do something positive for the environment that I live in. Yeah. Because they release, what is it, chlorophyll? I'm not sure. I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a, a you know, I don't know a whole lot about plants, but I know that they're <laughs> a good thing and, and that they beautify the space. I have pets. I have a dog and I have two cats. And they bring me um, much happiness. Yeah. So, um, you know, I said goals. Um, I've been working on my children's book forever. And uh, um, I plan on having that done in the next, I'm going to give myself one more month. So <laughs> I want you to ask me in February, Michelle, what's going on with that book? And hopefully, and I will be able to tell you, well, it's finished. <laughs> now we're in vacation. Wow. Yes. Michelle, this is it's been so healing for me and very inspiring to to listen to to you directly on how the happiness formula has been so influential in your life. Like I had no idea. I've been knowing you now more than five years and I didn't know the your secret weapon was the happiness formula. And I'm so glad that now I know. <laughs> and Well, you know, it's a choice. It's a choice. Happiness is a choice. Yeah, we could wallow in pity and anger, resentment, unforgiveness. All oh, this happened to me. Why me? Yeah. Or we could learn from the trials in our life yeah. to improve our qualities of living right now. Yeah. This has been so beautiful. And Michelle, for 
our listeners out there, especially those that would like, imagine we have a listener right now that they want that one hope. They, they came intentionally to listen to this podcast because they want to uh, learn something very unique and fundamental from you directly, Michelle Rittman. They heard your journey. They heard your early beginnings. They heard about you becoming a successful parent of five black men. They heard about how the happiness formula have helped you to overcome um, all those obstacles that you've been facing in the last few years. What else would you like to share? What would be your final words to the listener? My final words is that there's a lot going on. And, you know, it's, you know, it's easy. It's easier now than ever to be angry and resentful and afraid, you can still choose happiness. Mm -hmm. You can still choose to look on the brighter side. Yeah. You can still have faith in tomorrow. Yeah. You know, so let go of feeling those negative feelings. Yes. And, 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 uh, and search for that glimpse of hope because there there is something positive to come out of every negative experience and every negative it's experience. there is it's that? there to teach you a lesson um how and, and 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 to it's there to steer you in another direction make yeah. peace yeah with the people that have wronged you yeah it's okay to love from a distance. Yes, it's okay to love from the distance. Yes. Yeah. But but also I want to say, you know, for all the people who have elderly loved ones and who are staying away from uh, staying away from their loved ones, don't stay away from your loved ones. Yeah. Don't do that. Go go put your double up on your mask. Throw put your hand sanitizer on. Don't touch anything. Do your six feet of separation, stand in the backyard, at the bottom of the stairs, across the street, but see what's going on with your elderly loved ones. Mm. Don't not see your elderly loved ones. They are suffering right now, and they need to see you, not just on Zoom, do a drive-by, but please, don't abandon your elder. And I'm not saying that people are abandoning their loved ones. Be present. Be present. You know, some people, some elderly people don't know Zoom. They don't have a laptop. They need to see you through the window. Yeah. You know, don't just just be there for the be there be there for your elderly loved ones. Be present. Not just on a computer, but physically from a distance. I think that the six feet um, 
social distance is probably the best bet. Thank you. You know. And, and so with a mask and with your gloves or whatever you feel like you need to do to protect them and protect yourself, C, 